Gosman. Welcome to episode 28, Down the Track. Sean Whip joins me again. Sean, you found someone out in the street again. Who have we got here? Um, we've managed to find um, uh, a dual Australian record holder. Oh, really? The 15, Not just once. And the mile. Lovely. The extra 109 metres there. Um, Athletics Essendon's very own Lyndon Hall has joined us in the, in the studio today. Welcome, Lyndon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on board, Lyndon. So we're looking for you to provide a few, well, pearls of wisdom, I suppose, and uh, <laughs> be good to have a chat to you as well because you're an interesting character. You've had an interesting career and it's still a career that's uh, unfolding and I think we're still yet to see the best. I had a pretty exciting time for Australian athletics, isn't it? Especially that 1500. Yeah, it's getting pretty competitive for us. It's keeping me on my toes, that's for sure. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, lots to talk about in episode 28, which is brought to you by Revy's Energy Strips. 9th of October was Peter Norman Day. And to celebrate or to commemorate in Victoria is, was the all the unleashing of the... Uh, statue to Peter Norman at Lakeside Stadium outside Gate 1. Uh, Lyndon, Sean, you've both seen it. What do you think of the statue? Yeah, it's looking pretty new and shiny. Um, pretty cool to see it all recognised. Um, yeah, some pretty pretty impressive history around the whole event, so it's nice to see it recognised in Melbourne. Yeah, the, the ceremony itself was pretty good. The For the one of the very few times I heard a politician speak and speak very well, uh, it was a good speech, <laughs> actually. Um, and then the more telling speeches, uh, Darren Gosher also spoke, spoke well from Netflix Australia, but Janita Norman uh, stepped up, which is Peter's daughter, and it was a very heartfelt uh, speech that she made, uh, talking about the fact that history is history, that we're not going to change anything, and mm. yes, they can acknowledge, or everyone knows that Peter was treated so badly um, post what happened in Mexico in 1968, mm. uh, and she had a little chat to us straight afterwards as well. Tanita Norman, pretty momentous day here for the family, isn't it? It's a huge day, huge day for the family. Um, it is, yeah. Uh, I was impressed all speakers today, very eloquent in the way they described Peter Norman, his legacy, what he stood for uh, and what he means still to the Australian, not just the athletics community but the Australian community. It's, it's, it's really quite telling, isn't it? It is. Look, it's a far-reaching story. Um, it, it, it's not just a story about a sportsman, it's a story about a humanitarian, um, you know, a person that had uh, fairly, uh, you know, strong values. And the story still rings true now and you were saying just before that it took a long time to get to this point but you believe that attitudes and the way he's been considered and that legacy in the last few years that has really changed? I think it has changed. I think um, there's been a huge shift in thinking, um, you know, which I think takes time, you know, it takes time and I think it's, uh, it's a huge, hugely positive thing. You also mentioned that the family could be playing victim here and talking about the way he was poorly treated by many in Australia and also internationally, but that's not the attack that the family plays. No, look, I mean, we can't change what happened, you know. As I said earlier, history is what history is. Um, but here we are now at a point where moving forward, history now embraces Peter Norman, um, you know, and in this country, here in Melbourne, um, in Victoria, in Australia, um, we've now said, yeah, hey, what Peter did was was pretty good. Um, and the, the statue today um, is, a, is a wonderful symbol of, of, of that recognition and that acceptance. Well, I know everyone here present for the uh, unveiling of the statue feel pretty honoured and uh, I'm very honoured to talk to you today. Thank you.
So nice to see that the Norman family are actually moving on from this. It's all about now legacy. And just some of the great stories about Peter came out because I wasn't aware. You know, I'd seen the statue in the States of um, yeah, the two... Uh, Carlos and Smith, yeah. uh, with the third, sorry, the second place empty, and I thought, oh, that's a bit rude. But <laughs> you know the backstory to that one? No. You know, the backstory is that they were going to put Peter onto that second podium, mm. but he said, no, I don't want to be there. It's about Carlos and Smith. Mm. But he also said, what I want is for people to step onto that podium and have their photos taken and all those sort of things to show their solidarity for the movement. So. Yet again, it says a lot about Peter Norman, doesn't it, that story? Yeah, and I think it says a lot about the, the time in 1968 that we're not that far, you know, in the, in the annals of history, we're not that far removed from 1968 and, um, you know, we've still got national records that hang around from then and, and athletes that we're familiar with and it was a time where, you know, what, what Peter Norman did or, or decided not to do effectively as well um, was massive in, you know, global news. It wasn't, a, wasn't just an Australian thing. Well, well, I think for the newer generation too, we're not that far away from the year 2000, Sydney Olympics. It's mm. really not that far away, you know, t- nearly 20 years, but even you know, our younger brigade will remember that. And to think that Peter Norman was snubbed back then as well in 2000, it was yeah. effectively left off the list, was not recognised, not honoured, mm. and still was sort of serving his time for what was seen by some administrators in sport as being a bit of a crime. Mm. That's sad. Yeah, not a not a great um, it's not a great page in Australian sporting history in in that respect. Not at all. But uh, it is great now that uh, Peter has been commemorated with the statue at, at Lakeside Stadium, which I think yeah, some people said I oh, should have been at the the MCG. I think that yeah, Lakeside Stadium is more the home for this one because you know with the the pantheon of statues that are getting put around the G, <laughs> I think that one could be lost a little bit. This one, it's a very telling, and I think as, as a standalone. It's a very good commemoration of Peter Norman. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the few. So you'd have to think um, that newer generation are, are going to ask, you know, who that is who and that what is. it's so about. Walk in, yeah. Get a little history lesson wandering into athletics. Yeah, certainly will. It was also, I had a catch up with uh, <laughs> Neville Silito, which unfortunately didn't record properly because of some background noise. But mm. uh, Neville's part in the Peter Norman story was massive. Lyndon, you would have come across Neville quite a few times in your career. He's, you know, EMH coach, you know, famous sprints coach and um yeah he's still around he's he's usually the uh the the very cheery figure in a wheelchair at uh yep. at, at most events yeah i'm not sure we'll see much of never events these days um mm. but i hope to actually sit down with him at some stage and get some of his stories because uh, he's quite a, a, a you know big figure in australian athlete, athletics from the 40s right through to the oh god into the new century i reckon neville, neville probably spans 60 years uh and he was also instrumental in getting this um, statue arranged. Without Neville, this would not have happened. So well done, Neville Silatope. All right, but um, moving on from the the Peter Norman story is also you know sad news over the weekend with uh, John Hyam passing away. So John, big figure at Athletics Essendon, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, most recently, our our president just stepped down um, last end of last season, really. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, big figure. Football. Yeah, he impressive on the track too, wasn't he, Sean? So back yeah. in the the nineteen uh, seventies was sort of his era, and ran what the Australian the fastest time ever in Australia for an eight hundred on I Australian soil at one yeah, stage. I think maybe at the time it was the the yeah. fastest one on Australian soil. So I think yeah. that was the one forty five seven. Yeah, he was a four time Australian champion, uh, with three consecutive victories over the eight hundred from seventy seven to seventy nine, and seventy eighty one actually got the four hundred eight hundred double. 
It's not a bad thing to do yeah, in the Australian Championships. Pretty spectacular mix. And I reckon back in 78, there would have been several rounds of both of those. Probably, probably three or four, yeah. Yeah, so that would have been a big weekend for, for John to get. He also went to the uh, Com Games in 78, where he won a bronze medal in the 4x4 with Gary Brown, Chum Darvel and Rick Mitchell. A few good names in there. <laughs> and was seven for the 800 final at um, Edmonton. I think he was selected for the Olympics in 1980, the Moscow one, but did not compete. Uh, but sorry, he chose not to compete. That was the big boycott year with the, yeah. the Russians, uh, unfortunately. Um, he was also president of Af- Athletes Victoria. So yeah, yeah he he's <laughs> been very heavily involved with the sport. Yep, and also he was the uh, the state division president of the Commonwealth Games Federation as well. So yeah, a, a big player in sport in Victoria over many, many years and will be sadly missed. He was, um, you know, like a lot of good administrators, opinionated, very strong in his views. Uh, <laughs> he knew when John was in an argument because, you know, he was, yeah, he was a, good, a good man who could push through his, his uh, views and his point of view. And, um, yeah, a big, big shoes to fill, I think. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's been the response. I yeah, you know, I didn't know him personally, but seeing a lot of the comments on social media um, echoed the same sentiment that was a good person to have in your corner and, and someone that was an administrator that, as you said, didn't really get caught up in the, the fluff of it all and, and barged through and got things done, which is, <laughs> which is which what is you want these days. <laughs> uh, so look how you know, we pay our respects to Janine, Stephanie and Caroline, uh, big loss in the family and um, but hopefully we'll see the girls still out there competing. All right, Lyndon, great to have you here in the studio, the studio that keeps changing, doesn't it, Whippy? This is our 17th change of position in <laughs> yeah. 17 weeks, I think. We uh, uh, have moved around a lot. Yeah, we have, but uh, look, Lyndon, awesome that you're here having a chat to us. Whippy, do you want to sort of lead some of this? Because you've been up close and personal to a lot of Lyndon's <laughs> year. I've been at the same races, yeah, some <laughs> of. Um, but I guess um, for anyone that wasn't familiar, um, Lyndon had a... A, t- a tumultuous season to start with, but um, I guess word, a lot of um, well, no, I feel like a lot of the time in athletics we throw around this term of like, oh, that, that's an experienced athlete, or oh, that no. person will that person will pull it together because you know they've they've raced a lot or they've yeah they've been on a lot of teams that sort of thing. And I think Lyndon was the comfortable epitome of that uh, this season. Um, so Lyndon, run us through it. You had your first race was at the Prefontaine Classic, um, which this year was in Palo Alto in uh, Stanford's campus, yep. um, and that was one that. Was it was a bit of a was a bit of a dicey choice as to whether to go or not? Yeah, um, on reflection, probably would have been better maybe to not line up. But <laughs> um, you know, pretty stubborn as an athlete, and um, yeah, thought I'd get away with it. Um, didn't pull up so well after travel. Mm. Um, had a pretty cranky knee when I got off the plane, and it, yep. it didn't really have time to come good. It, um, I could run, so I was lining up. Mm. Um, didn't take long to realise that was probably a terrible idea. But again, being stubborn, um, <laughs> pushed onto the finish uh, in probably one of the worst results I've ever run. Um, in hindsight, though, does that fire you up a bit, Lyndon? Is that, you know, that, Christ, it just doesn't come easy? It was almost so bad that it didn't fill that goal. It was <laughs> yeah. sort of a real sort of... Uh, what deflating, was it? Yeah, it sort of was very... A lot of people were like, oh, 
maybe you should just, you know, come home and reset mm. for next year. And I was like, no, I spent too much time in a swimming pool <laughs> to come home now. Like I just sort of, I guess that meat had been the carrot I was dangling at the end of mm. the cross training for so long. So for it to sort of just be a disaster was sort of like a real slap in the face. Mm. Um, but I was kind of determined to sort of just stick to the plan um, or whatever it that could work. Yeah. But but that is interesting. Stick to the plan. You did stick to the... There was no then dramatic change to training or sessions or anything like that, was there? Or you just stuck to plan pretty much? Yeah. I mean, we hadn't sort of mapped out the, the finer details sort of the next month as, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, working out the finer details. Um, and then just sort of sat down and we're like, all right, where to from here? What can <laughs> we do? Um, and for me, I wanted to do a few familiar sessions as a real gauge of... Yeah where I was at to decide whether I would line up in the next race I had planned. And what was the feedback from those sessions? Um, Yeah, after about probably another two weeks of training, the the sore knee settled down after the travel and everything. Um, We were over in Europe at this point um, and started to get some some decent training under the belt, just being in some better weather and all of that definitely helped too. Um, And then, yeah, we did a session and it was one that we'd done quite frequently over the last three years um, since I've been working with Scrivo. Um, and I dragged out all the training diaries and got all the splits out mm. and then looked at... <laughs> <laughs> don't Numerically obsessed runner. It's pretty close. <laughs> and, you know, then sort of looked at, oh, well, I did this session and this and then following week I ran this. So yep. um, Th- That's why I was leading into that one because you do... A lot of runners do have their... Or, you know, athletes have bedrock sessions and it is comparable. Um, it's apples for apples and you know, well, okay, if I'm feeling like this and I'm running like that right now, this sort of result should follow. Despite what had happened before, you know it's going to come. Yeah, and I sort of just needed to run something more respectable, um, even if still in the back of my mind I was like, you know, this season might end in July, um, but I sort of needed something on paper that wasn't 4.24 um, to sort of go home to, otherwise I would have come home, would have been cold and miserable and I would be very <laughs> unmotivated if what, I came. Melbourne? Never. Never. <laughs> well, I remember um, in you talking about the, the sessions you'd done in, in Leuven that you thought were, were closer to the mark, and I think you actually <laughs> said the day before the race in London, you said, oh... I think I basically did those sessions when I was in 404 shape. Um, lo and behold, um, yeah, parked there in the Olympic <laughs> Stadium and you know, a couple of fellow Aussies were sitting there watching Lyndon go around and around and um, as opposed to the race in the US that didn't go so great, Lyndon was very determinedly stuck onto the, the mid slash back of the pack for large portions. And then with about 500 metres to go, you decided you were going to whip around the outside and uh, start moving up the pack with a, with a fair bit of pace, which was very encouraging for, you know, there was, there was a bit of... It was, I think there was concern from some camps as to hope that Lyndon would be okay and would make it through this race, you know, what the doubters. And I think you were probably the happiest 13th placed athlete um, <laughs> in Diamond League history. Oh yeah, exactly. I don't think you even get any, don't think you get any place points, any yeah. prize money <laughs> any or anything for 13th anything. place. But um, yeah, finally unlucky number 13 paid off. Yeah, I reckon that, that almost would have been the fastest time ever for 13th. So 404. 29 it's pretty um, amazing isn't it yeah, yeah. And, and it was strange the race effectively because it wasn't like it wasn't like it was very even it was sort of it was Muir and Kip Yagon and and they sort of went sort of slow to start with and then maybe the last 700 it picked up a fair bit um yeah so the pace was about four seconds slower than was asked for mm. I believe it was about um about a 212 and I think Laura had asked for a 208 yeah um which probably really suited me with where mm-hmm. I was at if it True. had been hot from the start I might have you know, a bit. whereas I was able to sort of be a bit more involved, which was probably good for, for where I was at. Um, and, yeah, it was a pretty quick quick final lap. I'd 
got no idea what my split was, but apparently Laura ran a 57 to win it. So wow. um, I think she, she cleared us by a fair bit, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was obviously definitely wound up towards the end. Yeah, and it looks like it looked like from there in your season you took because um, you had roughly a month between Prefontaine and then the uh, anniversary games in London, and then you had roughly a month again through to Birmingham, so you had the mile there. Um, and I think you know from the, I guess the the time or the reflection of the time in London was was great, and people might not have appreciated maybe the tactical element of the mile a little bit more, and some of the bigger names that were in it that were probably going to drag the pace a little bit and all those sorts of variables. But um, you did have quite a determined um, last 100 metres or 109 metres in, in Birmingham. Yeah, it was um, a bit of a, an interesting race, that one. Yeah, the absence of some of the, the top girls um, mm. sort of through a few little injuries late in the season, um, national championships around the corner for some of the <coughs> European girls. Um, so I think there was a lot of us in the race who were used to just getting a bit of a ride, but we kind of mm. had to to make the race. Um, it was also super windy, which was always fun when you've got four whole laps of the track. Um, and it sort of seemed to be everywhere, mm. one of those winds, um, which apparently is not unusual for, for Birmingham. It's the first time I've run there, but um, there no one else seemed overly shocked by this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was sort of, I guess it wasn't super quick um, time-wise, but I think for the conditions it was all right. And um, yeah, it was really happy with that sort of last 200 going from, I think about sixth or seventh to fourth, um, which proved really valuable because ended up snagging the last spot uh, for Diamond League finals <laughs> Diamond League exclusively finals. off that run, um, which is the first time I've managed to do that and I wasn't really trying to this year. Um, <laughs> so I should probably do that again. Um, so from having a race in the US that is usually one of your favourites, you know, one you've set a national record at before, um, to that being one where you were sort of so disappointed with how it had gone. I, I think you exclaimed at the time that you didn't actually check what the time was. You just had someone tell it to you post-race and it was a bit of a like, ooh, didn't I just know that? Um, <laughs> to, you know, two months later, you found yourself, well, not exactly at the time, but eventually into the Diamond League final. Um, I think often the perception we have a lot, um, especially on this show, when we talk about, you know, athletes that are sort of having breakout seasons or people having sort of first European seasons... As someone in, in your case that's not only had you know an, a multitude of European seasons, but was also a relatively early adopter of the collegiate system, um, so you're someone who's used to racing. Like running has been something that's been a sort of key element of your year-to-year -year life for a very long time. In that sort of two months between the US and Birmingham, those sorts of things, how did you just how did you keep yourself, I guess, relatively neutral, or how did you not just completely freak out and just head home, I guess? Oh, probably because I'm just way too stubborn uh, <laughs> more than anything. Um, but, yeah, I think if London hadn't have gone well, it would have mm -hmm. been very different. Um, that needed to be – it was a real sort of turning point of the season of, like, now I have a World Champs qualifier. Um, I can actually get some training in um, because – Well, you had direction, didn't you, after that? So you knew what you were going to – how the season – because as you said, you could have – it could have been over and done within July. Yeah. And then suddenly, no, you're going through to September, October. Yeah, so um, we went up to St. Moritz after London um, and I think I had the first four weeks of what I would call sort of normal training for the year yeah. um, after sort of being being injured the first few months of, of 2019. Um, so I actually sort of <laughs> consistent running every day, no days off, um, you know, my normal routine and sort of a, a normal kind of mileage I'd like to get to in a week. So, so do you settle into an environment like St. Moritz quite nicely as in diet you know and I, I know that's your profession so you should um but yeah that's the whole you know situation are you comfortable there do you feel like you can maximize your training 
Yeah, it was the first year I'd been to St. Moritz, so it was fun to explore all the lot of new trails and, you know, find our bearings. It was um, lots of exploring the first sort of week or so. Um, and then it sort of, we very much sort of settled into that normal routine of, you know, what days we're at the track, what days we're um, at the gym and all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, assign everyone a night for, for cooking. So you're only cooking dinner once every five days or something, which is pretty <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and I think we all kind of meshed in pretty well, pretty relaxed house. We had um, a good group. Um, yeah, so I think we all sort of got some good training done and, and most that were up there in our group had some good results coming off it, which was good. Good. And you got to play maybe a little bit more of a mentor role in, in St. Moritz. You had, a, you had, I guess, a, a newer group to the European circuit up there? Yeah, you know, somewhat of a house of, of my children or something. I was <laughs> feeling very old a lot of the time. It, it did sound like in London that you were you, you yourself were very much in charge of logistics and, and getting everyone ready and telling everyone to get to St. Moritz and, and those sorts of things. So who did you head up uh, there with for your training block? Um, so I had Georgia Griffith with me, um, Sarah Eccle from South Australia, um, Isaac Cocky, and then Sam Toll from my training squad as well. Mm. And um, big big shout out to Sam, just being a, just a constant in, a, in in the year of training sessions, I guess. Yeah, absolutely huge to have him him along across um, like the whole season, basically, f- um, just smashing out sessions with me <laughs> and um, well, putting up with me. going pretty well too. Sam had yeah, a pretty good season. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so from St. Moritz, you trek down to probably one of the. Uh, I don't know, looking at, I think, what was a live stream or a replay, it was, uh, you had sort of, I know at AV events, we put up those sort of bow flags and stuff and they blow around a bit in the wind and it's nice. I think the ones um, at the Morton Games in Dublin were pretty much flattened um, (laughs) at the time of your race and it looked more like a swimming pool than a a track race. Um, How did did that one play out? Um, That was a pretty frustrating night. (laughs) I mean, you don't expect good weather when you race in Ireland. Um, and I'd actually found out that morning that I'd gotten into Zurich. So I, was, I knew I had another really great race the next week. So mm. I didn't, wasn't so concerned by the weather. I was like, you know, it's a, I'm still kind of got Birmingham, which was only two days earlier yeah. in my legs. Mm. Um, so was, you weren't as invested in that event, would you say? Probably not once I knew I had Zurich. Yeah. Um, just, I guess I knew I had another opportunity, whereas prior to that, I was like, oh, I'm not racing for another three weeks or so. Mm. So, you know, this is important. This is really big. So it probably allowed me just to relax a little bit. Um, not relax enough to, uh, to not push the pace at the front. Well. <laughs> you had a very interesting uh, pacing uh, episode there. Yeah. wouldn't say it was quite what we wanted. Um, yeah. We'd sort of actually asked for a little quicker. Um, I think we got about, about eight seconds off what we'd asked for at the 800. Um, with, with an actual pace though, yeah. yeah, that's a long way. That is, yeah. So, um, Crikey, that's fifty odd meters. Yeah, yeah, and I sort of, you know, got in behind her after about the first lap or so, and yep. sort of, you know, the gentle, nudge, gentle nudge. hand in the back of, <laughs> you know, we're right here. You can yeah, go a bit yeah. quicker. Um, yeah, and then she pulled off, and I was like, oh, fine. Well, if we're gonna run anything decent I better have a crack um, and then a couple of girls sat on me got pipped on the line which is a bit annoying yeah, yeah. yeah um, sort of lined up on the back of you instead yeah so it was a little bit like uh, but um, you know it was a, a hard hit out I guess but then too it's something that can happen in a championship race as well so it, you know dealing with that nervous tension knowing that you're leading and you've got mm. people ready to pounce it's not a bad thing to learn and as you say it wasn't a meet of huge importance you might have dipped a bit of prize money but um, still set you up for Zurich yeah because I guess that's a, another strange part is like your well, I guess 
whilst we are preeminently qualified in dietetics and so on, it's not, it's not as if you've just dropped uni entirely. Um, but uh, I guess you're one of probably the rarer few where running is effectively your job for very large portions of the year. Do you, do you feel like that changes your relationship with running a little bit compared to some? Um, maybe. I sort of don't think about it too much in that sense. I guess, um, yeah, looked after it well enough that I know I've got so much income that prize money is a bit of a bonus, mm. um, a little bit of extra pocket money. Um, and yeah, like it is, it is nice to pick up some prize money, definitely. <laughs> um, but at least, you know, a lot of the time in Europe when you're going to a meet, you're not out of pocket to be there. So, yep, you know, exactly. you're getting your flights and accommodation yeah. and yeah. meals covered. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anything you come away with is, is a bonus, really. Mm. I don't know. Everyone seems to speak very highly of, of going to Zurich and, and racing there. And was that similarly a, an event you enjoyed? Yeah, uh, it's my new favourite European <laughs> meet, I think. Um, it was just, yeah, an amazing crowd, turns out. They sell the whole meet out. Um, it was, you know, it was like running it the world champs in london two years ago yeah what about their treatment of the athletes too Lyndon? is that the sort of thing you enjoy at zurich yeah the, i think the level of organization I think, professionalism uh, distance runners will appreciate this one this was like the first meet where i felt like they had thought about where are the distance runners going to go for their jog yeah and they'd gotten some spray paint and spray painted fluoro arrows on the, on the <laughs> footpath to direct you to the river yeah so you didn't yep. get lost fantastic and there's this beautiful gravel trail along the river yeah because um, yeah. Yeah. i know um for example, Ross Cunningham, who works in our office, has been, you know, he's basically on the project for World Cross Country. And um, one of his first questions was, you know, that it's an entirely distance runner event, was he basically rang up all these different distance runners around Australia who had been to World Cross and said, what are, you know, what are those what small things yeah. that if you could just tick a box and say, yep, that was really good, can we have that again? And it is funny that, you know, hearing that about a, a meet where, you know, they've got all these other events on and plenty of things to do with it, you go, something as small as spray paint on the yeah. ground to somewhere to jog. Yeah, sort of sort of changes your uh, your approach for the whole day. Yeah, you definitely do a lot of jogs around the infield of athletics tracks across Europe <laughs> at meets yep. in that sort of meet bubble. So it's nice when you go somewhere and you don't have to do that. <laughs> so from there, I think uh, it looked like on your on your results sort of page, you picked up what was everyone's sort of I guess traditional last sort of meet before um, before World Champs, which was um, the World Challenge in in Zagreb. So you you're a little bit further up the list there, fourth in in a little bit of a slower time in 409, but. Was that sort of, I guess, a, a good last hit out before Doha? Um, that was probably somehow more frustrating than the <laughs> race in Dublin. Um, it was almost the same race, just like even slower again. Yeah. Um, so the race got delayed about 30 minutes. Um, we were stuck in a call room with the men's 100 hurdles and men's 100 metres, which were much bigger bodies <laughs> than the field of the women's 1500. Yep. Um, and so there was nowhere to kind of move essentially mm. um and you know a lot of very stressed out people as well like why are we delayed when are we going and get getting that five minutes five minutes five minutes um so a lot of very like ag agitated people <laughs> by this stage um we'd asked for 208 for pace and we got 221 oh my God. um which was really disappointing because it was we really can, we good do better at milers club yeah it was really good conditions the girl pacing paced hassan to her world record at monaco earlier in the year so yeah. we so we really thought. thought we were on to something um yeah. but i guess just being so delayed i don't know if that just threw people out a little mm. bit um so i think there was a general consensus of much frustration mm. on the warm down mm. um sort of from yeah, people because from 221 you can't you can't get back from that no, so again, like in Dublin, I was like, oh, fine, I'll do it, um, which didn't really pay off, um, but, um, you know, I, no one else felt like they were going to do anything, so who knows what it would have been, and no one's like, well, 
we give it a chance now, we, at least we're not leaving it to a 400 metre sprint because everyone's going to see the time yeah. of the bell and be like, oh, all right, let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was a little bit frustrating, but I guess I did sort of take away, like, that probably was a bit more championship experience. Mm -hmm. um, was really hoping to knock off Olympic qualifier yeah. um, and set next year up. So a um, little bit frustrating on that front, but, yeah, definitely got some other things out of it. Um, just not quite what I wanted. So, Tim, for, um, I guess, for uh, what we usually associate with a European season in being, you know, very glamorous and you get to get in all these huge races and there's, you know, it's all on telly and there's, you know, <laughs> branding all over the shop. Um, it doesn't, doesn't sound like it's always the way, does it? No, I'm a bit surprised by that, particularly the the way the pacemakers will continually seem to let you down. And as I said, we can we can organise better pacemakers <laughs> at Miles Club. Miles so. Club, <laughs> yeah. get around it. Yeah, get around it. Yeah. Uh, but that, that really surprises me because usually, you know, my experience with pacemakers is particularly in that stressful situation like in Zagreb, they usually go the other way. They bolt. They, you know, all that nervous energy suddenly releases and before you know it, they're 20 metres in front of you and you, you can't mm. get on. But to go that much slower, they should know that, you know, this, this is slow. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised. But anyway, you obviously got to few lessons out of that and uh, yeah a little bit of an upsy downsy sort of season but yeah, um delivered you towards doha yeah so you ended up um in the i guess it was it was an interesting place Duh. <laughs> it was a it was almost like um it's kind of like i don't know like a strange mix of it's like a it's like someone's thought effectively it is a desert naturally and yeah. someone's just decided to plonk an entire city there um and i guess the the weird mix is that there's not much of a like a, a native population so a lot of people move there for work so it just sort of seems like 10 shopping centers 10 coffee shops yep. and enormous stadium and skyscrapers um which is probably a little bit different to your previous world champs experiences yeah well london was my only previous world championship so very <laughs> sort of <laughs> different um drastic extremes yeah so a very sort of different city mm. um yeah, definitely spent a lot of time in hotels and um, didn't, you know, wasn't, whereas in London, out and about, going for coffee, different, you know, exploring different <laughs> coffee shops every day, you know, so maybe it was good, we probably rested our legs a bit better um, because just walking next door to the other hotel for, di for, for meals was mm. like, oh, that was hot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sweaty, I need to rest now. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe it was good for us. Mm. Well, what did it feel like in the stadium though, this, you know, that feeling of an air-conditioned open air stadium I, I just still don't know how they engineer that that um you sort of just kind of forgot that it was actually hot yeah, okay. well that's probably a good thing isn't it yeah. um because we warmed up on the indoor track so yeah. um you know you weren't aware of how hot it was in there mm. um so you know i warmed up in tights and a long sleeve as yeah. i normally would probably yeah. <laughs> um you know i had to walk you know 400 meters over to the um where the call room was at the outdoor warm-up track i did one 200 meter stride out on that track and then went in the call room um you know it was a little sweaty then but um yeah sort of then you go into a tunnel underneath the stadium and you come out and yeah you sort of forget especially because it's you know late at night you don't really expect it to be hot when it's dark mm -hmm. and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that um so yeah you kind of forgot that it should have been so hot and then you by the time you actually do the 400 meter walk back from the stadium to the warm-up area and you're like oh yeah it's a bit warm <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah it's sort of very sort of confusing mm. <laughs> in a way. Yeah, and you'd, I guess, even coming into Doha, you'd had a few minorly pesky sort of niggles. Um, you know, there were, there were a few, I guess, nervous moments heading into that. But as someone who's obviously, you know, been in the sport for a little while, how did you sort of, I guess, just try and focus on the, the task at hand heading into the heat? 
Um, yeah, it was a disruptive kind of two days prior. Um, a bit of a cranky calf coming off the plane and um, seeing as that had been an issue earlier in the year, um, medical and physios were kind of like, ah! <laughs> um, so I ended up having an MRI two days before, which mm. was standard preparation. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty pretty stressed out probably two days before and really kind what of... What did the MRI show? Nothing, nothing, nothing scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing they were going to stop me from running, yeah. Yeah. which was, you know, the main reason, you know, obviously with the quick turnaround to yeah. Tokyo. But um, I was sort of like, I don't know why we're bothering with this. I'm going to run anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was wasting money here. You, but, you can um, see a, a trend appearing here, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to run anyway. <laughs> Put me in. Yeah, but I, I think, think... How many times did she use the word stubborn? Stubborn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think it was good to have in the in the end um, because didn't pull up amazingly after the heat for yeah. the semi final, and um, it was good to know that I was okay to run. It mm. might not feel a hundred percent, but it is not going to Do be a disaster. Yeah. Um, so that was probably good. Otherwise, I probably would have been even more nervous than I already was lining up for the yeah. semi final. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was a little bit of a chaotic couple of days before. So. Um, yeah, that day before, I was sort of just very much trying to <laughs> pretend the day before didn't happen with the whole <laughs> MRI drama, and I was pretty probably a bit grumpy and shitty with people. I didn't get lunch till like three o'clock, which probably didn't help. Um, so massive apologies to anyone who encountered me that day um, or <laughs> had to deal with me. Small things. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I was lucky to have a really really good group around me, and I guess the fact that everyone was so worried about it means. You know, they care about me, <laughs> um, which is kind of nice. Probably probably the closest I've seen Scrivo to, to very genuinely concerned, which usually means just very quiet, <laughs> which which is rare for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sure he was probably the next best, next stressed person after me, maybe, or maybe <laughs> even outdid me. Um, yeah, so I sort of tried to get back to that normal routine of day before the race and yeah. go out to the warm track and sort of do my pre-meet, um, sort of did a bit of a walkthrough of uh, the warm-up track, call room, how far things were, how long it's going to take, all mm. of those things. Um, you know, had a little look in the stadium, all yep. those things, because I hadn't had a chance to get out there yet. Um, yeah, and just try and then be able to sort of sit down and map out my day and my race plan and, and all of those things. So I guess now that you've had some time to come home and, and settle a little bit, as opposed to the, you know, all over the shop international sort of year you've had, um, it what, what sort of looking ahead for you is it just sort of remaining in one piece yeah that's a big one um <laughs> learnt, yeah i think i had more sort of mris and doctor's appointments last year than i ever need to mm. in the rest of my life um so yeah sort of when i look back and reflect on the year it's sort of not a matter of oh what could i do better it's more like oh let's actually get some proper training and, and some consistency and yep. um you know even just <laughs> you know, doing everything I want to do, running at nationals and not having all those sort of other stresses and just having a normal year. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about that. So the, you're now back, you're heading into a domestic season, which leads to the Olympics. What does that mean? How do you then map out this next, you know, what is it? Well, I suppose the next four to five months initially, yeah. and then you've got the lead into, well, hopefully the lead into Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, so haven't had a, a proper sit down on the topic yet, but mm. definitely been thinking about it. Um, well, have we got selection criteria? <laughs> no. no. Oh, okay. That, that doesn't help much, does it? No. no. So, um, yeah, I guess once we get that information, that'll be really helpful in terms <laughs> of what to prioritise and 
and everything. Um, but so obviously, I'm just a big shake of my head here. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I, think we're, I think we're closer to the Olympics than the start of the window. So yeah, any any yeah. time that happens to pop up would probably be very helpful. Yeah, for it would be helpful because many it, people it does help with the planning hmm. stage, knowing what you have to do and you know where nationals particularly sits into the the whole scheme of things. Yeah, so the you know, the relevance of nationals, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, so I guess we can safely assume nationals will be of some significance. <laughs> um, so possibly. Um, yeah, try and sort but of. But in the world of point scoring and stuff like that, now it, you know, is it the same? Who knows? Yeah, 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 it is. It is a bit of a juggle now, I guess, in trying to figure out, um, you know, when and where various national federations are going to draw the line. I think we know yeah. our slightly stricter across the across the ditch uh, cousins. They, they, well, when the initial sort of when points were going to be used for Doha, um, New Zealand were a bit stricter than the the actual field sizes. They sort of mm. noted that you'd need to be, say, top thirty as opposed mm. to top forty-two or forty-eight yep. for an event. So. Yeah, and I believe. Uh, Great Britain have said no points. You have to run the standard. Wow. Okay. Okay. I know Canada have said that as well, I think. Right, which okay. everyone's well, they don't take roll down traditionally yeah, in Canada, so yeah. that falls in line and with that, I guess. And, of course, South Africa, who are probably the harshest selection policy on planet Earth. If anyone's not familiar with that, it's, it's like if there's a 40 that they could take, it'll be, oh, you need to be top 20 or top 15. So really? it's like okay. super, super high performance. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess we're sort of looking a bit at sort of the prep we had com games year because obviously that was a, a really good year yep. for me so um trying to see what things from that we can sort of translate across will we again. see any domestic meets anytime soon that's that's the plan um great probably you know in the new year um mm. and you, you were pretty much the reason vic Myers had to rejig their prize money scheme because he kept uh, he kept rolling down meat to meat and just uh, just cleaning up. Oh, surely that was more George Griffith than me. Yeah, George has done pretty well too. <laughs> um, but you know, it's not as if we're begrudging that. In fact, no, we're no, quite it's, it's we want we want you to take more. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a bit of cash there, so take it. Uh, that's what it's there for. Uh, look, it'd be good to see you at some of those meets because obviously that then becomes a catalyst for the next up-and-comers in Victoria, you know, because you know the structure of Miles, to see, that, see you there, and we, as we have. And also Georgia is a you know, great uh, supporter. Uh, it means that, you know, these meets have a lot of relevance and uh, a bit of a wow factor too, I think, when, when some of our... Yeah, and in the boys as well, when you see some of the top guys get out there. I know that, um, you know, those crowds that we get, uh, particularly some of those meets, is, is huge to watch that mm. little middle chunk of really good stuff, so... And you're not afraid to go out there and just plow it out by yourself. Maybe with a pacemaker if you can get one, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not afraid of just sitting out there, getting 100 metres ahead and going for it. Uh, it's always good to see. <laughs> well, thanks for letting us uh, talk your ear off throughout what was a very lengthy and, uh, I guess, up and down uh, 2019. But tumultuous. Yeah, tumultuous, <laughs> good word. But, um, yeah, hopefully your 2020 will be a little bit smoother and, and hopefully um, Scrivo's heart rate will be a little bit lower. Yeah, throughout the year. Yeah, sounds like a better outcome for all involved, really. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. So October 13th, not a bad day in Melbourne, Sean. Were you floating around? Where were you on the day? I, didn't um, see I think I was in bed. In bed? Yeah. Okay. I was, I was, I was not out early. Oh, so. The life of an athlete manager, Linda. Jeez, some, <laughs> some of us had social weekends and yeah look as, as much credit as i give to those people that drag themselves out of bed for the melbourne marathon i was not one of them well i reported into work at five o'clock in the morning actually quarter <laughs> to five i think i was at the mcg i got there and i thought oh gee this isn't too good it was <coughs> actually quite blowy at the g i went up onto the deck and the flags were really blowing around i thought nick earl you told me it's not going to be too bad until but later i thought i got 42 kilometers of course here it yeah. can't all be windy yeah well as it turned out when we wandered over to the start line at seven o'clock for the marathon the winter dropped to nothing. It was 
cool, it was crisp, it was just superb and we really did get a pretty fantastic day for the Melbourne Marathon in 2019, which was good to see. Uh, results, looking through the marathon, look, nothing really stellar because, you know, we, we pulled together a pretty good field. Um, it's probably some of the highlights, I think, you know, you're seeing um, Nira Jarab, the... Um, or Jareb, the girl from Western Australia, she did a 2.37 in Gold Coast and she's coming to run a 2.36 in Melbourne. So that was a nice little step forward. Marnie Potton finally nailed one as well. So Marnie's been around the circuit for a long time, used to be a good steeplechaser. Now she's yep. uh, gone through, she's done a trail phase and she's went to World Cross uh, and then had a few sort of miss hits uh, for various reasons at the marathon. She ran at 2.37, she came in third place. Our winner was Naomi um, Jeb Kogai Mayo from Kenya. She ran at 2.35. She was on track for about a 2.28, 2.29. She was running in a beautiful pack, which included Sean Crichton, who went on to uh, break the Australian 50. Sean Crichton, what a guy. Yeah, That's no, it was, it was pretty good. So they, they had a really nice pack going, and he ended up running 2.29, I think, to break the... Um, 50 yeah, plus. the 50-plus record for Australia. But Naomi was in that and had Craig Appleby as her specific pacer and mm. uh, Apple stayed with her the whole way, which is awesome. She got a bit of calf issue. You're familiar with that, aren't you, Lyndon? So, <laughs> yeah, it's not something you're going to push through either. So when there's $20,000 on the line, she just backed off the pace. Uh, could have potentially got claimed by Nero a little bit, you know, had it gone, I think there's just over a minute between them, but she just had that enough buffer to get through and take the, the big money there. So... Lovely girl, actually, Naomi. She's um, 29 years of age, had her first child when she was 17. Um, so she's got a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. Um, I had the pleasure on the Monday after the race um, have spent a bit of time with her. We went shopping. She had a budget for shoes. She wanted to get some shoes here. Her <laughs> budget was $10, 700 shillings. She was not, and I believe me, she was not going to go over $10. <laughs> So it made my spare, sourcing of shoe shops... Um, spare 20 grand, it was probably, you know... Well, yeah, well, that's what I was trying to sort of rationalise. You've just won 20 grand, dear, and um, you've got a budget of $10. But she said, no, 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 in the markets in Kenya, I don't spend anything more than 700 shillings. So, Principled, so that, budgeting, yep. very good. Yep, so that was an interesting uh, little <laughs> afternoon. Um, Isaac Berea came back over from Western Australia. He's the Western Australian-based Kenyan. He won it in 2017, same year the Tigers won at the MCG, and in 2019 the Tigers <laughs> win, and Isaac's back, and he has a win as well. So he was running with William Chabon. Uh, they were the plan was that they'd go together, but at about eight eight k, I think Willie just said to Isaac, oh, "I've got something wrong with my back. Go forward." And uh, Isaac did. So from there on, he was unchallenged. Willie still held on for second, and then it was the Australians. Reese Edwards. Um, I, I wasn't sure where Reese was at because he'd been doing weird and wonderful things since the two sixteen in Chicago. He ran a two nineteen to come third. Uh, and then Ridley did crack the 220 officially. He got 219.57. So Dave Ridley was pretty much over the moon, claiming fourth spot there. And he ran a. He hasn't had a day off since, I don't think. No, <laughs> turned up I on saw him the day after. Because <laughs> he usually runs um, Monday yeah. night from Bonham yeah. of Anderson Street. And yep. I think a few more of us than usual turned up to the, the usual run to and give him a bit of, bit of a clap. Yeah, oh, he did well. And I think it's that sort of post event high, too. You, you want to get out there again. Yeah. And good on Dave for getting on. Uh, we had a Japanese guy, Takashi Mino. He came in fifth. Then Giri, uh took the Vic Championships. Uh, he ran on debut 221.19, which is, well, I think, 
probably expectations after the 65-minute half was that he could probably go a little bit quicker, but it's the first marathon, so... I'd yeah, he did have his uh, noble noble steed, Tom yeah. Thorpe, out there laying down pace for 27k, I think it was. Yeah, look, the feedback I've had yeah, f- was that Thorpe absolutely nailed it. So there was a lot of happy people in Thorpe's that group. rap is that he's, he's not quite ready for road running just yet, so it wasn't yeah. particularly... Not, not the most exciting race format, I think, for a, for a track athlete. Just, just a nah. lot of road. Yeah, a lot of road, but he set that pack up beautifully. Um, and then you had the likes of Dean Menzies from Western Australia and Matty Hudson debuting as well. And Matty Johnson, he got second in the, the Vic Champs. Uh, Matt Davey got third in the Vic Champs. Oh, you know, that was also, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, Frankson boy. So it, it was a pretty good day. Lots of PBs in that sort of group from 220 through to about 225. Um, in the women's, Charlotte Wilson took out SBS and the teammates, which <laughs> took out the Vic Champs. What a club. What a club dominating this podcast. Uh, Kate Mason from Frankston, she got second one of Peter Follows. Uh, first year in AV and gets a silver. And a very good story here, Steph Thomas from Western A, she got the bronze. And first day of debut marathon and she cracked three hours uh, to come in and get a state Solid. medal. So that was pretty good. So that's the marathon. Yeah, the you know Results aside, Australia's biggest ever marathon. So we're proud of that. You know, over <laughs> 7,000 finishes. So pretty proud of that. And also in the half marathon, we had over 10,000 finishes, which is the biggest ever half marathon combined into a festival. So SMH, which is a standalone half, has had more finishes than that, but this is the first time any event that's in a festival's cracked 10,000 finishes. So Melbourne should be pretty proud of itself. Looking at the results in the half, Tom DeCanto, Melbourne Marathon winner, came through for a win, and it was a sprint finish. It was a little bit um, 2006 Com Games. You had Tom DeCanto and Nick Harmon come into the tunnel, through the tunnel together, and it was a sprint finish over the last... <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't mind the Augustine Chogi, Craig Mottram. Yeah. No, I'm there. thinking more the Karen McCann. Oh, and that one. Yeah, oh. yeah. So the marathon coming through the tunnel and the, the crowd... And the crowd actually did go crazy when these two were racing each other um, around the, the good outer. Good turnout? Yeah, it was a good turnout. We, we reckon there was maybe 25,000, 30,000 in the crowd at, at the biggest stage, which is about then. Uh, Brady Trollful came through for third in the half. In the women's, it was uh, Magda Haji Harun, another Essendon. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, yeah. Uh, I didn't know what to think of where she was at because she's been, had a few good road races, had that really good run at Bandura. I'm not sure if you, you probably weren't here for that one where she Mm. side (laughs) by side with Ali Pashley, (laughs) um, which surprised the hell out of us. Ali just got broke her at the end, but 10 cross country Magda ran a ripper there and then disappeared again. Or ran, ran? Uh, Sunshine Coast half. Oh, okay. Yeah, but wasn't really a player. Mm. And then she comes out and runs a 71 here ahead of uh, Tara Palm on debut, uh, which was, yeah, great. So Tara had won City Bay in Adelaide Mm -hmm. and then thought, I might try a half. And she did. And she debuted in 71.27, which is a pretty good time. Third place too, I'm not sure if you know this girl or not, but she's really, a couple of years ago, she had a standout year in the 8 and the 15, Lauren Reid. Ah, New yes. South Wales, lovely yes. girl. So Recently she went had on, a baby, I believe. Yeah, as well. just had a baby. So she's on the comeback trial. She ran a seventy-two debut for the half. This is a girl who's a two hundred three eight hundred runner and four fourteen range. That is, I reckon, it's one of the best ranges we've got in Australia at the moment. So from two hundred three <laughs> to seventy-two, <laughs> haven't got Lyndon in a half yet, but don't don't speak too soon. Actually, oh, I want to talk to you about. <laughs> still, still trying to be coaxed into five k, let alone half marathon. <laughs> well, I was going to mention 
Bathurst, the cross country. Oh yeah, we didn't think about it to, to divert entirely. I'm thinking the f- they still do that four by two k relay. They do. They do. Yeah. Yep. I'll be in for that. One. All right. Okay. Well, well, well let's uh, let's let the selectors know. Yeah. We yeah. Did your, your fellow national record holder, Greg Ryan Gregson, said he'd definitely be doing it. But yep. to be fair, he didn't specify whether he meant the mixed relay or the, or the 10K. Uh, or 10K. It could I've, be a I've good previously had chats about a world cross relay with with Ryan, um, <laughs> but never never got off the ground. Um, Actually, well, it's something we've never done. I don't think we've ever fielded a team. Well, so yeah, I'd say with Bathurst, we'd have to. Did last yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Home mate. Home mate. Oh, that's exciting. 10K, Jordy Williams had a win, 29.35. Maddie Clark, 29.46. And then Cody Shanahan, 30.09. In the women's, Whitney Sharp, um, 33.45. Similar time to what she ran in Bernie, I think, Sean, she was there. Oh, I believe so. Yep. Uh, Madeline Hills, 33.52. So Maddie's more on the comeback trail now. Yeah. Which is good. So she's just... Dipping her toes oh, in the Stella water. in third. Yeah, Stella Radford. She was a very surprised third. She didn't even know she nabbed it. <laughs> well, well, she was, was unsure if she was going to run the day before. Yeah. I was with her and she <laughs> rolled her ankle at training on Thursday and was sort of said, oh, a bit swollen still. Do you reckon I should run? <laughs> um, I was like, oh. She's like, oh, I'll go pick up my number now anyway. Um, but anyway, it worked out great. She was and pretty she happy. And she got some prize money. Yeah. Very so laid back individual as, as always. Yeah, so good on you, Stella. So she came in third. So, look, record numbers right across the board. So a big day in Melbourne. And, um, you know, I think the, the Victorian running community should be pretty proud of the fact that uh, we're absolutely nailing at the moment with this event. And uh, well done to the team at IMG. All right, Chicago. The Windy City. The Windy City. Uh, cold, cool conditions, but pretty good conditions from what we heard. Yeah, it's always um, it's always that marathon. I think Australian time, it starts about 11pm. So often I just sort of fall asleep for the first half of it and then sort of come back to revive life. myself and watch that again. However, it was difficult to do as um, Bridget Cosguy decided to shred through the first 5k in, I think it was... Um, 1527. Um, so she only had 11 individuals in the men's field in front of her because they start at the same time in Chicago. Um, so she was on 210 pace for the first 5K and I think it might have been Tim Hutchings or someone was commentating and was just stunned at... Well, whether it was the pacemakers getting a bit... Uh, as you mentioned before, this was a case where they got a bit excited yeah. and got off to a, a real rip-roaring start. Um, it's not downhill or anything like that, is it? I don't believe so. So yeah, it's not the typical... Is it London, London, yeah, London usually has a, is a bit fast downhill, so first five. You usually yeah. see people run a bit quicker yeah. in the first 5K and then it settles. Yeah, but, adjusts, yeah. but yeah, that was absolutely insane because there was this, I guess, suggestion that you know both Cosguy and Katani were probably the two most recent challenges to Radcliffe's world record and um, had both tried similar tactics in trying to hit this world record. Um, so yeah, Cosguy had um, male paces similar to when Radcliffe set the the two fifteen sort of world record. Um, she did settle, I guess, between five and ten k, and was back sort of more on two thirteen, two fourteen pace, um, which is still very uncharted water for women's marathon running. Um, yeah, ended up finishing. It went through in sixty six fifty nine. So basically sixty seven minutes. <laughs> yes, and still hasn't on the two fourteen there only dropped five seconds in the second half. Yeah, so I think her last seven point whatever kilometers it is um, was quicker than Mo Farah. Um, so she was, well, on a, was on a bit of a roll well. um, <laughs> towards the end, whereas Farah was sort of going yeah, backwards. Yeah, he, um, he was having a bit of a rough day at the office, but um, yeah, took the win um, two fourteen oh four. So. New women's world record. Um, and that's chunking a lot off. That's yeah. well, 215 something around. 215 20 something, I yeah. think. So, so for, for a record that was previously deemed sort of yeah. untouchable, um, yeah. it's a 
fair whack to well, the top. In track comparison, she would have lapped. Um, that would have been an 80 second differential. So that would oh have yeah. been a lapping yeah, of Paula lap Radcliffe. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was more that the, I think it was the gap. Um, yeah, the gap back to second was 220.51. So it was absolute daylight between first and second, um, which I think was a PB for Yeshanae of um, Ethiopia in second. So right. yeah, Lo- happy local interest though, Lisa Waitman. Yeah, I think from from what I've heard, Lisa um, and her entire family the, in the days after were hit with a bit of a stomach bug. Yep, ain't been well the whole lot of them, unfortunately. No, so I think um, yeah, obviously Lisa had been training and racing rather spectacularly heading into it, um, and I think she got through halfway in uh, seventy one forty four. Yep. So I was having a pretty determined crack at probably that two two twenty three two twenty four sort of area, as obviously Which, yeah, women's yeah. marathoning is pretty chock a block in Australia right now. Um, and I think, as I understand, she'll, she'll probably sort of reload relatively quickly to try yeah. and jump in another one. We're pretty hopeful she runs out of pick too. Oh, geez, yeah. very busy. Uh, but yeah, ended up uh, eight. Oh, ended up ninth. ninth. So technically still an Olympic qualifier by being top ten in a world major. But, um, but, but we'll have to go again. We'll need a time. So around 2.29.45. But um, was it was a very good race for both American men and women as well. I think it was the most American men and 2.12 ever. Um, so it was a very determined pack yeah. of uh, American uh, gentlemen. Yeah, and, and talking, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about the shoes. But mm. a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, a lot of these guys have gone from, what, 2.16, 2.17 to... Well, yeah, I guess there was, not to get too caught up in hyperbole, yeah. but there was a Canadian gentleman who won yeah. their recent Olympic yeah. trials at the Toronto Marathon who previously had a PB of 2.16 around 2.09, 50-something. Yeah. Um, so uh, what we're saying, I was seeing, I think, is a bit of a change of the landscape here that, um, yeah. you know, a 2.14 runner now is quite <laughs> capable of running it, 2.11, 2.12. It probably didn't help that I think there was a guy, um, I think it was Jacob Riley, was an American guy who... I don't know if there was a debut or uh, he yeah, he was ninth um, and ran two ten thirty six, which is a huge run. Um, and he jokingly exclaimed post uh, race that running in the vapor flies was like running on trampolines, which probably didn't help the narrative <laughs> that was already established. <laughs> yeah, the um, press will love that one. Press did love that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was an interesting race just because a lot of those sort of two fourteen two fifteen American guys improved quite substantially down to two thirteen yeah. twelve eleven ten. Yeah, just resetting the boundaries. Yeah, just resetting things yeah. a smidge. Yeah. Um, that was probably, I guess, the other big names were, you know, Galen Rupp pulled out at about 36k, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's late to... Very late to pull out. Yeah. Not as late as Canonisa Bikila. No, that's true. Amsterdam, whatever it was last year, pulled yeah, out at about 800 metres left. Farrah finishing, what, 8th or ninth. Yeah, um, a shocking day. Yeah, so, you know, things unravelling there a little bit. But Not both of those were under life. a lot of um, media spotlight, weren't they? A little and, bit. And, and the press that, conferences. that can't be easy. The press conferences the day before were, yeah. were very interesting. and yeah. um, that would have been aggressive and... Well, it all, Rupp was pretty pretty calm. He's usually yeah. a very placid interview. Yeah. And he, I guess, did what he could, which was basically play the party line and said yeah. he was happy to answer any questions about the marathon. Um, whereas Farah was quite aggressive in his interview, which he's known for. Yeah. Um, and oh, made suggestions that, that the media had a, a racial bias yeah. in reporting, which the British media didn't take too kindly to, as there was a comparison made to Raheem Sterling and Lewis Hamilton. Um, who are both athletes of colour um, in the UK, and I think most people could appreciate they were co- completely different media yep. situations. Um, and he proceeded to get absolutely thumped in mainstream media, yep. which was then not helped by answering zero questions post race after yep. not running so well. Which, but well, it's not going to have you in the best preparation for a marathon under that sort of mental stress. No, no but I think if you get paid that much appearance money to turn yeah, up well. at a major marathon, you should probably answer post race questions. Oh, it's true. Kind of expected. Yeah, would be. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. Um, similarly, big improvers of note in the women's race were Emma Bates from the US, ran 225.27, and Fiona McCormack, who's yeah, an Irish athlete, ran 226.47, which I think fast. is the second fastest yeah. ever. Yep. So, yeah. huge run yep. from her. Yep. Um, yeah, so look, an interesting weekend, wasn't it? Because we had Ineos the day before, and then you had, so, in some ways, Cosguy's um, run has been a bit overshadowed by what's been talked about. Well, with, they um, both ended up, Kipchoge and Cosguy were both in a tweet from Barack Obama. Really? Yeah, well, he go. tweeted that he was he was very happy to see people reset boundaries and so good, on, and Obama time. said, he, you know, well, no, Kipchoge said he wanted to meet with Obama to yeah. get everyone running, which I thought was, was very positive, yeah, sport well, recreation. Good. Excellent. No, look, it, 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 Kipchoge, you know, despite all the other stuff going on around Ineos, mm. but he's, he's a pretty good man, isn't he? This he is, he he's does a quality seem to be the sort of, the sort of yeah. Yoda-elect sort of yeah. chosen one of uh, philosophical running discussions. I think he had a quote um, the day before when a lot of people were asking him about doping in sport and, you know, the, the issues that currently affected the sport. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'd have to paraphrase, but he, he said something along the lines of, you know, where... We're, we're walking amongst a garden of, of roses currently in, you know, the running situation he was in. He's like, why don't we speak of roses instead of talking about the weeds? And I was like, geez, they've got to get this guy. Just get him a book deal. Yeah. Get, him, get him something. Yeah. He's, spo- he's spoken already at the Oxford Union. Just yeah. sort him out. Get him on a speaking tour. That's, you know, I, well, that's a real positive, hmm. definitely. Uh, Nick Earl got out again. Um, yeah, did you hear what happened to him before the race? No. Oh, you, you can enlighten me. I have seen it a little bit, but uh, oh, he, tell us the story. Um, he got... Well, the, the band on his watch broke about 10 minutes before the marathon. Yeah, because he's a cheapskate and he wouldn't he probably invest wouldn't in a good one. one. Yeah. yeah, so he was that stressed him initially. Um, so he probably... Uh, sounds like he didn't want to embrace the Brett Robinson tactic of not wearing a marathon. He should have. Not wearing a watch in a marathon. Um, so that happened. So he was a bit stressed. And then he was wearing his 4% and they have quite a pronounced heel. And um, someone stood on the foamy back bit of the heel and it, it just sort of like half <laughs> fell off. Now, I don't know, I, I've never taken Nick as a, a massive heel striker, but obviously this was of concern and he found some duct tape and duct taped the back of his shoe together. Um, I did like the way in his tweet he, he called it duct tape and not duct tape, yeah. which is a, a common thing. A common it, thing, it, yes. it is the UCT. Yeah. Uh, but, look, didn't affect him too much in the first half of the marathon, it appeared. He um, got out in 66.48, so had a, a very genuine crack at it. Uh, but looked like he had some troubles later in the race and ended up running 2.18.03. So maybe a bit of a frustrating day at the office for him, but an adventure. An adventure, and he was wearing the English vest. So Yeah, I believe be it's, a, it's like an England athletics yep. program where they send people Correct. over to Toronto Marathon. Yeah, yeah. so yep. cool little experience for him. APS final was on Saturday as well. Yep, yep. Um, I did pop down to have a squiz with a lot of the younger guys that are in that seem to float through our various training groups. Yep. Um Probably the one of the more impressive runs of the day was probably there's a kid Jack Lunn um, who's very new to athletics this year. I'll oh, definitely ran last year, but he's improved Which a lot school? this year. So he's at St Kevin's. So Steve Fabrice coaches him. Mm. Uh, I think he was sort of a one fifty four two meter high jumper as well last year. So wow. interesting mix of events. Mm. Um, yeah, and this year he ran. Well he'd, he'd run one fifty one heading into the meet, um, and he had a very an astute tactically sort of controlled win. He did the old sort of. Yeah, you know, everything. Everyone got out twenty six, got to the front, calmed it down, sort of just held everyone off. Windy day as yeah. as is tradition at Lakeside on any major event day. Um, yeah, got the win at about one fifty five and calmly straight off to 
think it was high jump. He was in a four by four. He yeah, yeah. had a lot on, but um, it was a pretty happy. So camp. a win to St Kevin's, but not by much. It was only six points to yeah. So it was, it, was a, it was a slim win, but I think St Kevin's have have won. Mm. I don't know. Someone was throwing around a number that they've won something like twelve of the last fourteen, or or yeah. had a stretch. There it's like been that. impressive, hasn't it? Yeah, a good yeah. coaching squad there that's true true um, and I think it was cool to see uh, Jack Paris and Gus Simpendorfer were in the same 4x4 both on the last leg um, right. there's a video floating around Twitter of that which is um, pretty cool because if anyone hasn't been to APS they do get a lot of the schools get their kids down um, yeah. to support so it's, it's a rather full it's probably the biggest meet at Lakeside well, maybe the little A's some of their possibly. championships um, are big oh, someone's got to drive them to the stadium so yeah, you know. yeah exactly um, but APS is huge yeah so it's a, it's a pretty raucous um, environment and it is a yeah. cool indicator of how kids don't really need to know anything about athletics they just yeah. need to know their mates are in it and well it's team it's tribalism lose, lose the plot regardless yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah it was, it was an interesting meet um, and Hallerby took out the girls I believe so. Yeah, so they've um, they've really squished down on the the Wesley sort of hmm. dynasty. So it looks like Haleybury is sort of the the team to beat now in the, in the girls. Less dramatic yeah. than last year, by the sounds. Yeah, no um no last minute protests or overturned you know relay results and principal meetings to decide this one it was just the on the day. Um, but yeah, I think it was good to see a lot of the sort of state team regulars that we see you know in the yeah. APS kit looking pretty chipper whizzing around for their schools. Excellent. We'll finish off just quickly on uh, Bernie 10 on the weekend. Yeah. Nine sub-30 minute performances. So yeah, which Ben is Kelly cracked the yeah. big 30. Yep. Uh, Geordie Williams took it out just a very good finish. I've seen photos. Um, Geordie just ahead of Andy, Andy Buchanan, Buchanan and yeah. Jack Bruce. So... All not only what uh, less than a second between first and second, and yeah, Bruce not far. Pr- pretty big pack there. We're within sort of five seconds at the yep. most. Yep. So um, maybe it was a bit more of a more of a tactical affair, um, which I think some found a little bit odd given Jack Bruce had run sort of I think he ran twenty eight forty odd mm. up in Brisbane, sort yep. of solo in a ten k road race. So. I, obviously, Bernie, you don't have much footage of the race itself. Yeah, so. I believe uh, pretty normal. It was not too bad on the way out, but a bit headwind on the way back. Yeah. And it was a pack, a pretty good pack running yeah. together. So, but, um, but yet again, it's just showing that the, the depth is improving. Nine sub-30s here. Not as good as Albert Park where we had 14. <laughs> with no prize money on the line <laughs> just a good old fashioned club race yeah um, exactly gotta love that and yeah um, Gregson got the win um, yeah the women's on the women's side so 32 something or rather yep um, so they're not a, not a bad run there alright so that's a bit of a wrap on results hmm. now we're not going to go into great deal of uh, in depth on this one but we'll just uh, since the last podcast, we'll, we'll a bit of an update on, say, Nike Origin Project, the shoe debate. One of the interesting things, too, I think, with the Ineos Sub 2 is that the mainstream press are starting to pick up on the whole shoe, I won't call it debate, but the shoe technology stuff. Mm. And you're seeing it in Herald Sun and Yahoo, <laughs> everywhere you look now. You're seeing is, it, is it debatably a good thing for the sport? Are well, we, I think it is. Are more people into it? Yeah, no, well, it's, it's bringing in a lot of comment and... and Overwhelmingly, there's no doubt that Ineos was a positive. You know, the you know, yes, it was construed, and you know, everything was engineered. I think, and um, peak viewing for the event on yeah. the YouTube live stream was close to like two million people. Yeah, so yeah. and people are still talking, and they will be talking about yeah. it for a long time. Even from a marketing aspect, yeah. how much would you pay for two and a half million people to watch your product for two hours? Yeah. Clever. It is pretty clever. Mm. Uh, but what I've noticed amongst, say, the recreational running world is that level of excitement uh, yeah. about the two hours being done, whether they know a lot about you know the intricacies of what went on. Mm. Uh, so no doubt what Kipchoge and the team, the Ineos team, the Nike team have done with that was, was a positive for our sport. Uh, 
then you had Cosguy obviously the next day doing what she did, which I think got a little bit overshadowed. The news though that with with Nike withdrawing uh, support of Nike Origin Oregon project, so that was probably the. the I don't really think they withdrew any support. Yeah. They yeah. just said that like the basically all the people that were in it. Then, like for instance, Rupp just raced in a, a normal yeah. singlet. So yeah. effectively, I think I don't know. Paula Radcliffe was in an interview on the BBC the other day where she sort of suggested that it would be renamed or, or reborn. Effectively, I think so. they should pull Paula off as being a spokesperson. <laughs> <laughs> she, has, she has put herself in a few slightly awkward positions, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that was always just, just going to be the case. I think yep. that was a, a basically an email from the Nike CEO that said, you know, it was too much of a distraction and that they were just going to park it for the minute and, and move on. Um, uh, with Jess, though, Jess's situation doesn't change, does it? So Jess Hull stays with the same coach. I think they all retain yeah, yeah. the same coaching. Segura yeah. Osaka, who's And she stays where she is. She'll be based at the same Yeah, Yeah, location. as I understand, um, like Segura Osaka, again, the Japanese marathoner has said that nothing was going to change in his yep. situation. Well. They were assured their contracts were all hunky-dory, yep. um, which I think is largely what people expected. Um, so I think given it's still very much an ongoing legal matter, we won't yeah. see anything too substantive until post-Court yeah. um, of Arbitration for Sport hearings. Which is on Salazar? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. What, so what's the timeline on that, Sean? Um, can take an incredibly long time, yeah. as we've seen with the Casta Semenya sort of bits yeah. and bobs. Um, so, well, you've got to go to Switzerland for one. Um, but mm. I don't think we really got a date on that um, right. because I think it's a, it's a pretty busy sort of bill at mm. the CAS. So could be there for a while, but um, yeah, so a bit of an ongoing story. Which, yeah, uh, and, 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 and see what happens there with Salazar. He'll just be seeing this through to the bitter end before the appeals process. Well, he doesn't really have a doesn't really have a choice. Yeah. I think. Uh, <laughs> well, the other choice is just to drop everything and not even appeal. But yeah, yeah. he won't uh, not do that. I think he yeah. he'd be probably a bit strapped to find work if uh, yeah. if that happens. So yeah. yeah, I figure he'll probably trot on with that one um, but yeah I, I do think one thing that has come to light with this whole I don't know I, I feel like the shoe debate thing is a bit of a I don't think it's farcical but I think people are a bit narrow minded what, what's your it's website by the way your no, blog oh, it's just my name but yeah, sure, yeah. but if there is you know if you are interested you know because Sean's university career was around <laughs> a lot of this stuff. As, as many as many yeah. good exercise science undergrad students do, once realising there are no jobs in the sport, uh, they redirect their uh, view into a into a deeper niche. So yeah, I basically did a materials engineering course yeah. at RMIT post grad, um, and a lot of that was additive manufacturing, which is basically what is this this sort of combination of shoes, where it's you know. Yeah. A bunch of different plastics, foams, and carbon fiber. So on Sean's website, you will see a really good summary of the shoe <laughs> stuff. Oh, I've had well, a lot of positive comment about it. Oh, People are saying, "Oh, have you read Sean's?" Yeah, of course, I've read Sean's. More, thing. more to the uh, fact that my point was more just I'd heard people use yeah. the term energy return. Yeah, and I'm still yeah. seeing that now that you've mentioned it. I'm I see that a lot. Sick yeah, of because yeah. I remember basically there was an Adidas ad that came out all these years ago yeah. where they dropped a st- the steel ball onto the proprietary foam for yeah. Boost that they were yeah. using. And the video sort of shows it shooting back up into the air a million miles. Um, now, if you dropped a steel ball on concrete with a bit of force, yeah, it's probably going to bounce higher yeah. than it is. But yeah, it's basically me blabbing on about this thing called the coefficient of restitution, which is just anyone who's ever done physics um, determines how elastic a collision is. Um, so effectively, energy return doesn't occur in shoes because it's dissipating energy, not returning yep. it. So I think... Yeah, All makes pub- sense, doesn't it, Linda? We're right across it, that, aren't we? That yeah. public <laughs> perception that you've got this magical shoe that's giving you 
more energy than you're actually yep. putting out is a it little is bit nonsensical. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. more to the fact that literally every other company has a prototype. That's right where now. I wanted to go. So <laughs> that's what we're seeing now. <laughs> yeah, uh, including Adidas. If you think um, Adidas have got well, I don't know. It's really interesting because they'd have to. You'd think. Well, no, it's really interesting because the the guy that's the head of like global track and field for Adidas is this guy Spencer Nell, and he's very active on Twitter. Um, and yeah, has just been like. Relatively firm, I think, in, in not being too stoked with all the 4% sort of stuff. So, I, I don't know. It'd be really interesting because Adidas were actually the company that knocked over the Puma brush spikes back in the day that um, were setting all these world records. Like, they sort of started this campaign to get them moved on. Um, but I just can't imagine Adidas are going to pass on this technology entirely, given they actually had some of the earliest patenting on it, but yeah. Gebra Celestia didn't like it. So, yeah. They parked it. But Some interesting stuff going on with ASICs because the yes. guy who won Kona Jan admitted. Frodino, yeah, yep. yeah. He's married to Emma Snowsall, the yep. very famous Aussie triathlete. Yep. Um, but then we had other ASICs athletes <laughs> say, no, 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 we haven't got it. Well, yeah, it was really funny because Ryan Hall sort of had this scathing Twitter yep. post um, about how the, you know, no doubt that Kipchoge was the greatest marathoner of all yep. time, but that he was cheating with the shoes and blah, 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 blah. And, um, then, because Sarah Hall, his wife, had run 2.22 in the Berlin Marathon and had sort of said, oh, look, this a new ASICs prototype, yeah. isn't, it's not a plate, it's a, it's a rocker, yada, yada. And Emma Bates, the US marathoner who's with ASICs, kind of stuck to that party line. And then, yeah, Jan Frediano came out, won Kona, course yeah. record, and said, yeah, it's a plate. <laughs> um, which <laughs> I think was like, whoops. Um, we also had, was it Eilish McColgan run a... Yeah, so she's got a slightly yeah. newer version. Yeah, um, of ASICs. Yeah. yeah, we can actually see a bit of an edge of the plate yeah. in the thicker sole, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, she ran... It's just interesting though, isn't it? The, the different... Yeah, yeah, it was a like very a good run. Like 100% solo as well, yeah, um, yeah. which was a huge... Like it's actually, it's the second fastest time ever in the, in the UK, so she's yeah. only behind Radcliffe. Um, so yeah, it's a massive run. Um, but just I everyone's different take on it of what they're going to reveal and what they're yeah, not. You know, yeah, the like Sorconi are clever in that their shoe, the logo effectively covers yeah. a large portion of this new midsole so it, it's not as obvious as yep. say just a hulking great bit of white foam at the bottom yep. um, yeah well Hoker are out there or Hoka uh, saying they've got well, it I think the most frustrating thing for Hoka is that they had this sort of maximalist technology quite early yeah. on and just yep. didn't really have the marketing plan for it yeah, or, um, or probably the presence yeah and they're not a Nike well I think more to the fact that Nike sort of borrowed one of the main Hoka mm-hmm. engineers and signed him up and yep. brought him over and were like hey how'd you do that um, yeah and since then, they've had great success. Um, yeah, well, they're going very well. Uh, Marnie Ponton was wearing them in Melbourne. She said she yeah. loves them. She said they're not going to suit everyone because the drop is um, lower than some of yeah, the others. Yeah, and I think I think that's going to be the big difference four, as well. I think it's a four mil drop. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know, but um, I think the other interesting thing is a lot of the marathoners saying that yeah, if you can get your hands on a few pairs, they're pretty handy for training as yep. well because you don't. Well, I saw Felix Lonergan in training hockers last Hockers. night. Well, yeah, because yeah. he works at um, yeah, Soul Motive, Soul Motive yeah. I think. Yeah, oh, we've always te- teased Felix because he does. Effectively, he's one of those guys that does everything in heavies, or his yep. version of flats are still very heavy. Um, yeah. Point of teasing for Felix, but um, yeah, has since turned up in a maximalist shoe, which he, which he seems pretty chipper well, about. If he gets the results on the track, then yeah, he'll have the last <laughs> one. <laughs> be all good. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think this whole whirlwind has. Uh, Gone on uh, yeah, did plenty. you mention before moves at the top at Nike as well? As yeah, so the, the CEO has said that he's going to step aside in January, but he'll remain on the um, executive board. So I think right. it's maybe more just a career slash sea change um, yep. after. I think he's been there for a very long time, so who knows? But um, I'm sure the media will draw various conjecture on that one. Um, but yeah, seems to be plenty plenty going on in the, in the footwear world. Um, but also I, I thought, 
one thing that Lyndon could comment on um, was you did have a very fun pair of spikes in uh, in Doha. I know when I think it was myself and Matt Clark saw you in Leuven, you had these spikes that had what literally looked like duct tape over the side of them. And I think Clarky went to pick them up and you were like, no, <laughs> put them down, no photos. Get <laughs> Tell out. us a story. Come on, Lyndon. What can you reveal? Um, well, I was lucky enough at Prefontaine to sit down with some of the US shoe designers um, and got my hands on a prototype version of the new spikes, um, which they're working on being officially launched for the Olympics next year. Um, so they were a little rough around the edges um, <laughs> and then did have some sort of strapping tape around the edge to sort of hide the hide what was inside, I guess, which yeah. um, I think sort of created a bit of bit of mystery and a bit more hype oh, around we it. We love that, don't we? Um, well, I think the funniest thing out of all of that is everyone lost their marbles when they saw the front part of this spike, which is a bit different because it's got these little... That I think people coined them as sort of airbags, but they're painted as like fluid or um, air-filled pockets. And then someone on Twitter made the astute comment that Nike have had basically this Air Max technology since the mm. 70s or 80s yep. and were in really old pairs of shoes. And yeah. It's effectively that, just with a little bit of a plate above it. Yeah, mm. so they just hadn't had the... Um, it wasn't sort of strong enough to put in a shoe mm. for running in yeah. previously, I think is what they kind of alluded to me. Mm. Um, or I might have made that up completely. Mm. Um, yeah, and so then I managed to get the uh, updated model at World Champs. Mm. Um, so you would have seen quite a few Nike athletes running in them. Yep. Um, yeah, so it was pretty cool. Got to sit down again with the designers afterwards and sort of feedback between the two different pairs. And um, good, good nod to Lyndon, given that not all Nike athletes got their hands on them at World mm, Champs, just the, special. The, the chosen ones. <laughs> Probably just a, a case of being in the right place at the right time. Right shoe size. Possibly. Yeah, you might have the right sample size. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty cool to sort of well, what, what, hear what, what's coming. What did you actually feel? Like what, what is there much difference to what you have been brought up in spikes? If, if, you know, the way that the foot reacts or the way you spring or um definitely a bit more aggressive in terms of putting on your toes which right. really suits me because yep. i am quite toey <laughs> anyway yep. yeah um and then yeah i think like as the through the two different um yeah that's so i guess just pretty bouncy mm-hmm. pretty fresh but y- you like them there was a good feel yeah good Absolutely. that's what we want very interesting yeah. yeah excellent all right well that's probably a wrap on all things a, wa- a wandering conversation. Wandering. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess uh, we'll move on to more domestic affairs. We're now three rounds into AVSL, Sean. I've been to two of them. That's more than the whole of last year. So um, this must be really taking your eye, Crosby. Oh, new competition it. format. I'm loving it. Although standing out in the rain, raking the pit on Saturday afternoon wasn't my highlight of my athletics career. But anyway, it was good to be involved. Linden Athletics Essendon, gee, what a theme this this podcast. They're on top of the Premier Division ladder, um, relatively comfortably too. Gee, I think they're just cruising their they way. They haven't used their power play yet, have they? No, they haven't used oh. their power play. Only a couple of power plays She's used so far. None, <laughs> none in the Premier Division. So it's Essendon, Box Hill, Diamond Valley. Diamond Valley have just... Um, uh, actually, they relinquished second spot to Box Hill over the weekend. Uh, Glenn Huntley sitting in fourth in Western A's. Down the bottom, you've got Chilwell and South Bendigo in that relegation zone. So the two regional clubs, uh, just above them, Sandringham. So Sandy will probably have to muster their numbers a little bit if they want to stay in the Premier League for 2021. Second division, Donny is um, doing very well there. Nutter Wadding also uh, going nicely and Ringwood. So a lot of our sort of eastern uh, suburbs doing good there. Casey Cadinia and Mentone down the bottom of the second division at the moment. 
uh, in Division 3, Ballarat Harriers, I've been told, you know, because this is Hamish's division, uh, he says, oh, no one will beat Harriers this year and they're well <laughs> ahead. They've already play, played the power play, though. Uh, Yarra Rangers, um, one of our growing clubs out in the eastern suburbs, they're doing quite well. And Knox in Division 3, ahead of Collingwood, then Melbourne Uni. Um, I said to Hamish, you're in trouble here. And he said, oh, no, no, we'll be right. We've, we've planned it out. They'll, <laughs> they'll come good in the second well, half. Well, I guess, I guess, yeah, inherently yeah. the problem is they have almost no junior members, no. which doesn't help them in this. Uh and they had about 50 people doing the Melbourne Marathon in Week 2, yeah. or Melbourne Marathon events. So we'll have to bounce back. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Uh, interestingly, though, in Division 3, St Kevin's are in the relegation zone. Well, I guess the hard thing is they're not a very big club. And APS would have absolutely... APS drained them a bit. Yeah, yeah so they yeah. might come a bit better. Um, and also Carayo down there in Divi 3. Divi 4, Brunswick. Um, they played the power play and they are leading Division 4 from Wyndham and then Ballarat YCW Regional Club. Uh, down the bottom of that one, Old Scotch and Richmond Scotch, obviously also impacted by mm. APS, and I'm not sure what's going on at Richmond. Divi 5, which is where all the action is, is <laughs> where my mob is. Um, Dandong Springvale and Williamstown lead the way there from Maccabi. Um, yeah, so interesting. And this is what we're loving about AVSL, that these new ladders have really reinvigorated. It's not just your yellow zone, your red zone, your blue zone. It's right across yeah, the board. I know on the Frankston Facebook page we get an update every week of uh, everyone's points and who scored the most. And You're not doing well, though. Well, I think it's just because we've got no open men competing. I yeah. think week one we actually had zero, so we, yep. we might need to lift a bit. Well, yeah, the, um, Melbourne Marathon would have um, had a bit of an impact there with True. Your, your boys out. But... Um, yeah, sitting in Division 2 there. Whippy, are you going to have a go at ABSL? Oh, I, I don't know. I think, um, I think you know, I've, I've got, got a plan for all schools. I've got a lot on. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck for the next couple of weeks, I think. I don't think I need to make any any very awkward, slow Even returns what about, to the track. What about just get out and do a shot put or a jab? Well, tempting. Yeah. Get back down for some long jump or something. Yeah, Maybe just, just spice up my week. How about an 800 metre challenge against me? Um, oh, I reckon I'd have you covered. That, would, that wouldn't be stressful. I think, uh, whereas I think Lyndon had probably had me covered at this point in the season, so yeah. might just in basically even in shot put, I reckon. Yeah, too. probably. Yep. All right, let's have a look at some of the individual standout results. Thanks to David Armstrong, who pulls together all of this data. He's doing an absolutely amazing job. So when you see the ladders, when you see the um, ABSL uh, results hub, that's Mr Armstrong's great work. Um, Sean, any standout stuff that you've seen um, in the... I'll, I'll pick out a few. Looking at the high jump, Madison Wright from Wendoree's got a 165 in the under-16s. That's not a bad clearance. So yeah, off the top of my head, Wendoree high jump is usually the domain of Paul Cleary. I'm not sure yep. if she's coached by Paul. Oh, but probably a good chance. If so, shout yeah. out to Paul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the hurdles, Nathan... Philip Tides, is that how we... Philip Tides, yeah, 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 he's been on a few state teams. Yeah, he's, he had a good point score there for 13.95 in the 100, uh, in the under-16s. Uh, I was actually witnessing the triple jump firsthand on the weekend. Yeah, Chloe Grenade. Yeah, massive, first time over 13 metres, she was happy. Yeah, really. yeah, it's definitely an event we've seen a bit of a resurgence in of late. Yeah, she I think 12.98 or 95 might have been her previous best and she popped out the 13.07. Wind conditions, you know... Saturday wasn't a great day. It was quite blowy. They had the tailwind and she just waited, waited, waited and she got to one point, I think it was 1.8 or 1.9 tailwind. Solid. Yeah, and Jeff Hawkins was over the moon. Over the moon. <laughs> she then decided, because um, that's when the sporadic showers were coming through, decided to go for another jump. 
So we all waited there. It absolutely started pouring. So we were standing there waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, good to see you getting your club duty done there, oh, Crosby. Absolutely freezing, soaking. She ran down. Foul. <laughs> but anyway, good on you, Chloe, because it was a massive job for 1907 that leads the Victorian mm. rankings for the year at the moment. Another one I've spotted here, Michaela Saladinakis from Essendon. She's been doing well on the sprint, so she's leading the way in the Opens in the 100 and 200, yep. uh, which is good to see. Uh, Mitch Langbourne saw him run a, um, a good 800 uh, stat back early. You've seen a fair bit of Mitch over the last have, couple of yeah, years yeah. and um, what I saw in yeah because it's obviously graded comp um, just positioned himself beautifully and um, just came through very very nicely so running running well Mitch 2.0 zero, 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 uh, his best time and Ouch. he's in the under 16s um, oh okay he's only 15 he's, he's got yeah. time oh he's got sub, plenty sub of time sub two around the corner one interesting thing I've noticed um, when looking at the results in the open men there's only been one sub two minute performance so far this season and in the 15 sneak yeah. out to shield yeah come on let's start to support it and only one sub four which was Cody Shanahan though it was Cody yeah, yeah knowing Cody that was probably part of a greater weekend session of yeah, some no sorts no doubt about that uh, Todd Hodges has got out for a throw 14 1480. Good to uh, see. Yeah, so that's good. Um, a couple of little other ones I've spotted. Jamie Lee Code, 725 in the 2K steeple, was a yep. good point scorer for her club. Uh, in the walks, they you know they were always great supporters of um, of Shield AVSL. Uh, Alana Piat done very well for 24-17 in the 5K and 20. Uh, sorry, 14.05 in the three. Darcy Roberts has also done well with a 9.48 in the 2K and the a 7.13 in the 1500. So from the Knox Club. Well, look, the one you've missed out there, Crosby, which I'm devastated about, is um, one of our one of our more amusing picks in, in AV, which is a kid, uh, I say kid only because he's 19, um, Jamie Harrison, who originally hails from Kahuna. Uh, one of your favourites. Um, one of my favourites, purely because we... Coached him into athletics, post uh, an yep. interesting school sport, mate. Hooked um, him up for good coach. Dropped him in there with Fitzy's group in, in Melbourne. Um, so last season, or in, t- in 2018, his best was 51-21. Um, he did get down to about 49-5 towards the end of the season. Off some very light training. And uh, pleased to say after a good sort of couple of months block with Fitzy, around 47-97 um, down at Landy Field, which is not always the... Stillest of places in terms of weather conditions, but um, yeah, lost out to a training partner, Lawson Power, there by about uh, 0.03, I think. Um, but yeah, pretty awesome run for him to, to shred through a PB by a good second and a bit. Um, it's a very good story, that one, and um, I think you should be rightly proud of what yeah, you've done. Yeah, I think he'll, um, that'll probably cement his spot on the, on the Glen Huntley 4x4 for, for Zatapak. So um, for someone that had zilch athletics involvement or very little. Last year, he's now um, right up at the pointy end. Um, yeah, yeah, we do look forward to... And I believe he's um, he's also a 157, 800 metre runner from last year. And I believe he might be making an appearance at Miles Club. So it'd be very interesting to see how his 47.9 converts yeah, into converts. 800 metre pace. That will be interesting. Next round of AVSL. So we've got two weeks off now because of all schools. Yeah. Uh, so two weekends. Uh, Saturday, Sundays at all schools out at Doncaster. Doncaster. But um, the following round of AVSL is actually a relays round. It's quite exciting. Okay, it's good for. But they've everyone. got interesting ones. Have you ever run an eight by one hundred, Lyndon? No, I can't <laughs> think of the last time I ran four by one hundred. To yeah. be honest, though. 
Uh, 8x100s on the program. There's a few things like 2x8s, 2x15s. There's some mixed gender stuff. I, I think it's quite exciting once again. This is what AVSL is about now. It's about reshaping <laughs> the competition, getting away from the boundaries. Now, that round is not just real so The field will still take place. So you yep. can still get out and have your, your um, jump or your throw as well. So well, I, d- I did notice there, Lyndon's oldest PB is from 2007, um, which is a 25.11 for 200 metres. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we can see some, some touching up of that at at AVSL if you, if you had to get out for, for Essendon for one round. <laughs> that was probably the last time I ran at Shield. Actually, <laughs> actually a timing error. I never ran that fast. Oh, devastating. <laughs> well, I would have been about 15. Oh, yeah. Someone get on. That's yeah, a quick time. Chip for that age. Yeah. Everyone's like, 200 metre career. Yeah. No, um, I'm pretty sure we got a phone call from um, Tim O'Shaughnessy. It was at Athletics Australia at the time. Yeah. I called up um, Gregor, who was my coach at the time, and was like... I think we've got an error here. <laughs> <laughs> the computer says Prod- no. Prodigal 200 metre runner. <laughs> All right. I think someone should advise the IAAF or else, yeah, the agents might be looking at this one to fill in four by two spots. That's um, all right. I know Stuart McSwain still has, uh, has him broken two minutes officially um, on, his, on his IAAF profile. Yeah, he's, he's probably split about 152 going through 800, but, you know. Oh, uh, well. I think he wants to keep that one there for humorous purposes. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing. So what else we got coming out? We've got Rare Air Club on the 6th um, at Melbourne Uni. Um, and we've also got uh, Miles Club coming up as well, the, the, f- the first meet of the season, Tim. Yeah, entries are a bit slow at the moment. I put out a bit of a reminder yesterday. Just to hurry um, everyone up. Yeah, it, um, well, first time at Duncan McKinnon, um, which, you know, I think we... Updated track? Yeah, updated track. And I, I think... For the three Ks, it should be interesting to see how they get round on that track. Um, well, it's a relatively... Have you ever run there? Duncan McKinnon? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Wrong, wrong side wrong of the state. Yeah, yeah oh, the wrong side of the river. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. they used to have the milers at Sandringham, God, that was a trek after yeah. school. <laughs> I, I reckon we did two there. I reckon. Oh, I definitely ran both of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why we went to Sandringham. Anyway, well, probably it was early days. Track, was but, um, I've only ever been one at Essendon. I reckon we could uh, do that again. <laughs> Fresh track. Look at all our numbers. I, the old yeah. Aberfeldy, mate. Exactly. Yeah. Don't worry. I hear from Essendon a lot about there that one. Um, there's, there's your next project. <laughs> yeah. I know they can do electronic timing there. Um, yes, they can. So we've got, what else we got? Victorian 5K champs at, um, at Box Hill. Box Hill is going to be the, the place yeah, to be this year. It is central. With um, the Renaults on uh, Lakeside Stadium. Yeah, so the Vic Vic 5K there on the 14th of November and the Vic Relays uh, on the 23rd as well at Box and Hill. The, uh, and then the White Horse the Classic. The Steve Denane product, the White Horse yeah, Classic yeah, on, the, no, on the 28th. They have two good products and um, White Horse Classic is, is really, co- I was here last year, it was a really nice meet. Uh, so get along to those. So for all of these events coming up, and you've got to use your AV portal to enter. Simple as that. So get used to the AV portal. One thing there is a substantial amount of confusion around. Yes, all of your entries for every single possible event, all through your member portal. Yeah, exactly. Um, so simple as that. Just get onto your portal. Including Vic Miles Club. I've yeah. fielded a few phone calls this week. Yep. I know the Vic Miles Club website does still exist, but to the, to the member portal, folks. Yep. yep. Yeah, well, and I updated the website yesterday so that it points them to the portal. Excellent. Yes, so less phone calls now, Whippy. So... Another big episode. Lyndon, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Good chats. Um, what's the rest of your day? You know, what, uh, you know, Sean was saying professional athlete, but you are you are working as well. You're at South Yarra Sports and Spinal. And yep, yep. Yeah. Um, won't be there today. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I'll head off to the VIS after this. Bit, yep. of, bit of a run, bit of gym, and then I'm taking a school group through a VIS tour. Oh, great. So we'll you enjoy that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's good. We um, 
a lot of the schools opt into chat nutrition, so they're the ones that ah. I get um, priority on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you get some really fun groups come through that are often um, sort of year 11 and 12 PE students and things like that. Cool. What about at South Yarra? What, what's the sort of role there that you're working? Um, so I'm an accredited sports dietitian, so um, yeah, anything anyone might need in that kind of space. So whether that's, um, you know, someone preparing to run a marathon or something of that nature um, and, you know, wanting to get the nutrition right, um, any sort of gut issues they might have around running, um, that sort of space, or just someone wanting to get things right, um, yeah, eating the right foods, eating enough of the right foods. Yeah. Uh, and how many days a week are you doing that one? Just well, the one. One, yeah. <laughs> and that fits in nicely to everything else in life at the moment. Yeah, it's a nice little balance of, yeah, of keeping good. busy. A good team over there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah great place. Nice. Quite well. Um, all right, so awesome that you came in. Thank you so much, Sean. Any final parting words for this episode? Uh, not entirely. I'll, I'll see everyone down at Doncaster this weekend and uh, the next. All if schools. If you have any state team queries, please come and ask me and, and the ever-capable uh, Sharon Russell down at down Trackside. We'll have a tent and everything. Um, we'll also have Project, our um, uniform supplier. will be there selling uniform directly, so you'll no longer have to deal with myself for uniform queries, where I often would tend to, you know, basically have to go ask the uniform company. They shall be there direct. So customer Excellent. service is hitting new lofty heights. Um, and, yeah, any anyone I would just reiterate to any parents or coaches or athletes, please ask the questions on the weekends that we're there as it minimises stress heading into the weeks ahead. All right, and just a reminder that uh, we are brought to you by Revy's Energy Strips, so we'll have another little posting about the discount code for AV members to get the 20% off. So fantastic. Get into your Revy's. Awesome. Um, we will see you next time, guys. <laughs>